0: Welcome to the Wired to Hunt Podcast. Your home for deer hunting news, stories, and strategies. And now, your host, Mark Kenyon. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Kenyon, and this is episode number 231. And today in the show, myself, Spencer, and Furter are recapping our early September hunts, and I am excited to be able to share with you the story of the successful conclusion to my Montana public land hunt all right before we get to all that though big thanks to our partners at lacrosse boots for their support of this podcast episode and I actually have a great lacrosse boots story to share with you from this Montana hunt I've been on. I brought out my regular knee-high rubber boots for the hunt, um, but I knew I was going to be crossing a river a handful of times, quite a few times actually. So I made the mistake of being a cheapskate and buying some $15 packable waders from Amazon. These things were trash, and the first time using them, they ripped. So, I had to go, I had to drive over an hour to the nearest city where I could get some better kind of waders or boots. And there at the local kind of farm supply store, I was able to get some lacrosse hip boots. These things were exactly what I needed. I brought them back to the property I was hunting, and they were able to get me across the river, down the river, through the river, many, many times over the course of the four days I was hunting there. So, should have just gotten something high quality of that in the first place but none of this to say my lacrosse boots both the rubber boots and the hip boots worked great for this hunt and uh, now I'm glad I've got a great pair for these to do some creek crossings and and traversing in Michigan as well and other places so if you're interested in learning more about lacrosse boots for yourself you can visit lacrossefootwear.com All right welcome to the wired to hunt podcast brought to you by Onyx and today, We're coming to you live from Montana, North Dakota, and South Dakota. It's me, Furter, and Spencer. And I thought the plan for today could be for us just to recap how our first week of hunts have gone. Because all three of us have been hunting out in these different states, um, early September hunts. Dan couldn't be with us because he's still in the mountains chasing elk. But uh, I've heard they've been having some close calls. So I'm sure next week we'll have some interesting updates from him. But uh really quick, let's do a quick roll call. Um I wanna hear who has filled their tag so far of the three of us. Uh Spencer, if you've killed a buck, say I. <laughs> Nay. Nay, okay. Uh Furter.
1: Yeah, this seems like a shameless plug here for you, man. <laughs> I don't have a tag filled yet.
0: <laughs> okay, uh I'll I'll just say Mark. Yay. <laughs> buck tag filled. <laughs> um do you guys want to hear about my story first, or do you want to tell me your stories? I think Josh and I
2: have pretty short updates, so maybe we should uh, get ours out of the way. <laughs> All
0: right. Well, Spencer, what's the story on Lieutenant Dan?
2: Uh, the story is he's still out there, and he is safe. Um, I got to hunt the first and the third. I had the winds that I wanted to get a chance at him. Um, I was there, but he was not. So I don't know Um, at at this point, I think he has kind of changed his pattern and where I have an opportunity to hunt him at is now like a secondary pattern. I guess I am just trying to catch him deviating from what he normally does. Uh, And when he shows up in this property that I can haunt like once every five days or whatever it is. And so my hope has been that if I'm there, like nine out of the first 10 days or something, I'm going to get a chance at him. So I was there on the first and the third, he did not show up. Um, on the fourth, we got about a half inch of rain that day. And, uh, the property that I hunt is at the end of like three miles of dirt road, uh, minimal maintenance. And so I literally couldn't even get back there. And so the fourth and the fifth, I had to hunt like my plan C setups, um, you know, miles away from where Lieutenant Dan is. And I, did not have any very good action then, and so as of this point, my season has been very very slow. Uh, deer movement for me has been like a three out of ten, if we go by the the radio standards. Now I don't think that's indicative of, of what's actually going on. The weather has been uh, pretty solid. If if you wanted to kill a mature buck right now, the mosquitoes though those have been a ten out of ten. Uh, they they have showed up to every hunt for me. So. It has been slow so far. I I don't think the velvet buck thing is going to happen, but this has all been gravy for me, getting to hunt in early September. um, You know, I I didn't think that was going to get to happen this year. So even though it didn't work out, this is not like a a finality ending for me. Um, I'm going to keep hunting with this tag. um, You know, it's, it's for my home county, so I'll be out there a lot. And like if my... Season was a round of golf. I haven't even got the whole one yet. I, I'm just uh at the driving range, so there's a, a lot to go and I'm, I'm still feeling pretty positive.
0: Uh, well, as further knows, I'm very good at golf, so um I love these analogies and uh, <laughs> <laughs> um,
1: that was a good one. I did like that one yeah,
2: thank you
0: thank you was, I always like
2: good. to I like to imagine Steve Burnnell is listening and make a bunch of <laughs> sport ball references that he is not going to get
0: sport ball yeah <laughs> and you're right he would they would all go right over his head <laughs> um uh, spencer i was what i was curious about was um this setup where you were hoping to get a shot at at your buck there what was that like can you describe what that setup was and why you thought you would have a chance at him there so it's a large
2: property um like hundreds of acres but about 90. 90- or probably 95% of it is beans and there's just a small amount of timber. Um, so there's a, a very fine line between me being aggressive and me being passive when it comes to hunting this buck because um, there's a lack of bedding that I have access to and that bedding isn't too far off of this field edge. So I have just been playing it safe for now uh, and, and I have been hunting um, the edge of a bean field hoping to catch him out hoping to catch him coming out feeding at night.
0: And so you haven't seen him, obviously, like you said. Now, you did tell me off the air a couple days ago that you were trying to figure him out a little more and you had something happen. Is that something you can explain what happened, how you thought maybe that has or hasn't impacted things?
2: Yeah, so that was back on August 23rd, I believe it was, Um I had checked the trail camera that he had been kind of a regular on and all of a sudden um, he was showing up less and less. And so I was losing confidence about where this deer was bedding. I kind of had it in my mind um, once I started keeping tabs of him back in June. um, Yeah, I was pretty confident where he was at in June, July, early August, and we get to the end of August um, and he was showing up less. So I thought... Maybe I wasn't accurate with where he was betting at. Um, So I tried to get in a little bit deeper into the property. Uh, Like I said, this was August 23rd to get a camera up there with hopes um, of me maybe catching him uh, earlier. Well, me catching him between the bean field and where I thought he was betting problem was i got the camera up turned around to leave and i busted him out of uh some plump thickets and he was bedded in the general area that i thought but closer to the field edge than i was expecting when he busted though uh he he ran out of the plump thickets and got into a thick part of the creek bottom and never turned around the whole time um he was in a thick area where he would not have been able to see me. He just heard me up there. The wind was also in my face, strong wind, like 20 mile per hour. Um, so he was just busting based off of my sound. And so it, it was a bad deal. You never want to bust a deer, uh, you know, especially that close to the season, one that I was hoping to get a chance in. But everything was positive uh, about it, I guess as positive as it could be. Um, he didn't smell me. He didn't see me, um, and, and so I felt okay about it. That area has a lot of coyotes. Um, you know, he could have thought I was a coyote or or anything else. Um, so when I got back up to the field edge, hoping uh, that I could maybe confuse him, I lit the area up with mock scrapes uh, and and put fresh urine in all of them, thinking that maybe if he were to come back to that field edge and he would. Uh, find it a coincidence that while wow, there's all these mock scrapes here and I just got busted by something that was hanging out near the plum thicket where I bed, maybe there's another mature buck around here, just hoping to to confuse him, uh, maybe pique his interest to, to show up there a little bit more often. Um, and it was only like three days later, August twenty-six, I believe, and he was on camera again uh, right around shooting light. So although I busted him, um, I don't think it was the end of the world, and I don't think that's affected any of my hunts quite yet.
0: It's an interesting idea you had there about uh, your little mock scrape surprise for him. Um, I kind of like it. Just
2: – yeah just how I busted him, you know he didn't lay eyes on me, and I, I'm 100 percent sure he didn't smell me. I never got downwind of him, and, and the wind was so strong, it never swirled and, and gave him an advantage. Um, so I, I just thought uh, it, it wasn't going to hurt anything, certainly, and, and I just hoped that you know maybe that would pique his interest and and get him showing up to that bean field again.
0: okay, so that didn't work out though, at least as far as getting you out there getting you a shot out there. Now you're out of it because of the muddy road. What's your game plan for the next couple of weeks now?
2: Uh, next couple weeks, I'll be hunting um, like my C property and my D property, um, which don't set up well for early season. Now, if this were November, like my C property is actually my A property and, and it's kind of confusing, um, but I'll, I'll give it a few more days here, hoping that I can catch a random velvet buck that I didn't know existed on one of these other um, pieces of ground that I can haunt. it, And I'll do some public land setups as well, um, just just to keep me out there with hopes that I can find a, a, a summer pattern buck. But I don't think it's going to happen um, at this point.
0: Bummer. Well, like you said, though, there's still lots of golf to be played. And, uh, if there's a tiger woods in the hunting world, they got to believe it's you, Spencer. (laughs) Um, we just, we won't tell your wife about the infidelity part, but otherwise, uh, (laughs) um, see, I got, I got sport ball jokes too. You like that? That's right. That one wasn't as good though. (laughs) Yeah, probably not, but what can you do? (laughs) Um, further, are you curious about anything, uh, with Spencer or do you just want to dive right into your story?
1: What? Yeah. Spencer, what, like, um, like time of movement? Like when have you kind of started seeing some deer moving? Like I know you said that movement was like a three out of 10, but has it been late, like real late or what have you been seeing there?
2: So my hunts have been so poor. I have not even spotted a buck to this point. Everything I've seen, uh, have been does. I think on each hunt I've seen, um, three to four does with their fawns. And, uh, much of that movement has been early. Like, um, I would say, one hour to ninety minutes prior to the sun going down.
0: What kind of time frame have you seen, further?
1: Mine's all been like real late, um, you know, like half hour before dark. Um, I, I did see some a few does kind of filtering through, um, uh, like five o'clock ish, uh, but then it just kind of shuts down until that last little last little bit of light. Uh, but yeah, everything's been been pretty late
0: so so let's back up though i guess you're you're out in north dakota you're at this spot that we did some scouting this spring at um how did you i know like last time you were on the podcast you talked a little bit about how you've been looking at some maps to figure out kind of what your game plan was going to be but how did you actually execute on that because what you're in day three now so how what have you done so far
1: yeah so i'll give a sport ball uh analogy here real quick so i'm i'm maybe like (laughs) I'm maybe like a beer or two into my like golf round, and that's really when I get going, like get the little bit of swing lube going, <laughs> figuring out my swing, nice. and uh, hopefully, hopefully, I'm I'm making the turn here after nine holes, and I'm coming in the home stretch uh,
0: strong. Let's be um, honest, though, you're way past two beers after nine holes, Josh. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: I don't know, because I I get to that point where just feeling good enough where I, I I just walk up to the ball and hit it. I don't think about it too much. Yeah. Um but uh yeah so i i kind of had picked out a couple of spots that i wanted to try to to sit the first couple of nights and and more or less just observation stands um but also put myself in a situation where it could be a a, a good spot um you know if, if something did come come through and um the first night was better than the second night and uh basically i i picked some spots on this on this in this river bottom um where there is some heavy heavy trail crossings across the river and uh, was able to access them uh, via the river pretty easily um, other than the fact that they've been really long hikes to get in there. Um, But I was, I stayed away from the cover um, where I think they're all bedded up. And then I was trying to get in between where I think they're going to be heading out at night to, 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 to to feed. Um, I think what I figured out is I need to get in closer to them. Um, I think I've just, too far away from, I think that's part of the reason I'm seeing the late movement is I just need to bust in on them a little bit more. What, uh, what
0: then is going to be the plan tonight? What are what's the setup going to look like?
1: Um, I'm, so tonight the spot I'm, I'm looking at, I got to double check the wind and everything here, um, before I head back out, uh, and don't have any service I'm going to go across the river from where I was at the first night um i did see one decent buck just got a quick glimpse of him um before i lost him and all the all the brush and he was kind of working around that the point of this this river bend and uh there's a couple of spots over there that i think get I that i think i can get set up um and hopefully then see back into some of that thicker cover um better than what i could the first night so i'm going to cross the river i'm not going to be more than 100 150 yards of where i was from the first night but it seems to be that's where most of the action was was taking place that night and uh the tree i've got picked out i could see from my other stand i would have he would have been a chip shot um if it was like i said it was a decent buck i don't know i don't know exactly what he was he was hard horned already um but he looked like he he did have some potential so that's kind of the plan for tonight, I'm going to make a move um across the river, kind of where all the action is happening in the first night.
0: Can you get across the river by wading it or do you have to drive to the other side?
1: Uh it's super low right now, so I think I'll be able to I got some hip waders that I brought with me that are like packable. Uh hopefully they don't rip on me like they did for you. i <laughs> um, I've been so I should be able to get across it pretty easily, I think. Okay.
0: Cool. That's all good for me to know. Uh if i'm gonna be meeting you out there tonight so
1: um yep i'm selfishly josh, trying josh get data
2: you you had said in the past that you were
0: holding out for a three and
2: a half year old buck um and basically mm-hmm. to, to the last day like even if a, a two and a half year old comes by in the last day you're not going to shoot him um here's something i didn't know prior to just talking to you right before we hopped on air was that there's a chance for a mule deer there as well. Would you drop your standards um, for a mule deer to walk by um, as a, you know, a Michigander, you probably don't have many opportunities at, at mule deer. So would you shoot like a, a spike buck if, if one wandered in archery range?
1: Uh, no, because my tag is for white tail only. Oh so yeah. Don't, don't non, do that a then. Non, yeah. <laughs> Non-resident is a, a white tail only. So unfortunately no i will not be doing that regardless of um what i would like to do that's uh i wouldn't be able to so white tails are bust for me and yeah i mean the, the goal is three and a half year old and um we'll see we'll see how i'm feeling on like saturday evening and there's a nice two and a half year old standing in front of me that'd be hard not to pull the trigger on that i think but we'll see well it's tough man it's it's, it's hard work getting around down there there's there's a lot of ground to cover on foot and with the tree stand on, on your back. And geez, last, last night I, I went like a mile and a half and, and it was like straight down a cliff. I had to like switch back down a cliff down to this river bottom. And it was a brutal hike in and out.
0: Yeah. imagine having to take a deer out of there.
1: <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. That's, that's what I'm I starting to little, think about uh, more and more. I've got my little buck burrito too, Mark, but, uh, <laughs> I, I might end up quartering one out. I don't
0: know. I'll tell you what. After I, after my uh, adventures yesterday, I'm done with the buck burrito. <laughs> I'm going to start quartering these suckers <laughs> out.
2: Josh, I'm I'm all for you shooting a two and a half year old like on that last day. I I hate when somebody. Says like don't shoot something on the last day. You wouldn't shoot on the first. Yeah. But like those people have not been in real world hunting situations. Like they can go pound rocks if they think that <laughs> you're not allowed to like change your Dude. standards or change your goals uh, when you're on like a public oh, yeah. land. Hunt 20 hours from home or
1: whatever it is. I like, know. The more I've been thinking about it, like if, if there's anything that would make me happy, I'm I'm just gonna do it. And like like you said, I'm like 20 hours from home you know busting my tail out here basically you know on my own and uh man it would be it'd be awesome to to fill that tag you do whatever makes you happy Josh Yep and that's what I'm planning on
0: <sighs> Well I hope it happens tonight. I'll be I'll be there. Yeah man. I'll be ready to help you. And um I guess cool. the reason why I'm going to be there and ready to help you is cuz like I said I finally filled my tag. So um Do you guys want to hear the story of my hunt? been quite the four or five days out there
2: yeah walk us through all five days like from day one up until when you took the shot
0: before we get to my story though let's take a quick break to thank our partners at onyx and onyx are the makers of the onyx hunt app which is a mobile mapping application which has just been a tremendous tool for me over the past week here in montana this mapping app allows me to see aerial views and topographic views. Shows me all the public land parcels and borders. Shows me who the private property landowners are next door. I've used it almost. I have used it every day actually, mapping out how I'm going to get to my stand locations, uh, thinking through where deer might be bedded, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Mapping out how long of a walk I had, um, and also in particular, you're going to hear in the podcast in a second about how I did get a shot at this buck and when trying to recover him it took a lot of tracking to find him and there's a tool within the onyx hunt app called the tracker feature which essentially just drops a line everywhere you've walked and so what I did is I had that tracker turned on while I was tracking my deer and then I could look at the map afterwards and see what ground I covered and what ground I haven't covered yet and that little feature ended up helping me find my deer so the hunt app has been very helpful if you would like to try it out for yourself You can visit onyxmaps.com or search for Onyx Hunt on your mobile app store of choice. And if you want 20% off your order, you can use the promo code WIRED. That's W-I-R-E-D. I I believe you need to access that from the desktop version is what I've heard. So promo code is WIRED. W-I-R-E-D. Alright, so I will give you the spiel, and you guys just jump in and stop me whenever you've got questions or when I'm getting really boring or something like that. Um... So basically got out there on Saturday afternoon, early afternoon. This is the same spot where me and Josh had scouted and shed hunted earlier this year. So I knew it. I would walked it. I knew kind of where I wanted to go. And the big hang-up, though, for me was that um, to get to this piece of public land, you have to – it's landlocked. So you either need to pass through private land – well, basically any way you go about it, you have to pass through private land. Um, I have been hearing, well, basically there's a river you can take to get in there. The right way to do it technically is to get permission by the private landowner who owns the land around that river. So I'd gotten that permission earlier this year and I just kind of just assumed that I still had that permission coming into hunting season. Um, but I decided to give that guy a call the week before my hunt just to double check. And after having that phone call, found out that he kind of rescinded that permission. Now, he thought he was going to have some family that was going to be hunting. He'd rather me not go back there. So I was all kind of in a panic then because I had all these spots picked out. I thought were going to be great. But now if I couldn't go down that river, I couldn't get to him. Well, that said, he did mention, well, stop in when you get here. We'll chat and we'll see. So I get there on Saturday, stop in and chat after like two hours, hanging out there chit-chatting with him. Um, him and his wife, really, really nice people, great people. Um, and the the end result was that they decided that it would be okay for me to go back there now. So that was great. That was a huge relief. Um, and I all of a sudden had this, all this new confidence back again. So that first day, I packed up my gear and, and hiked in. And kind of like what Josh mentioned with those long walks, it's about a mile, just under a mile and a half hike to get in there um, across all this public land and then down all along this river and then back into this public land so it was a long time getting in there but um, I gotta tell you about my new mobile setup um, I switched to the tree saddle I think a lot of people have heard about that so this is the first time using the tree saddle and I loved it like I really really liked it um, one of the nicest things being the fact that I didn't have to carry in a tree stand so I had 13 pounds less on my back which is really nice. And I also took in my like elk hunting backpack for this trip too. I just started thinking, you know what, I'm not going to carry these heavy loads with a smaller backpack and be uncomfortable. I'd rather have the big backpack. So I had a bigger backpack plus I didn't take a tree stand. Now I, I brought climbing sticks and then I was wearing my saddle and then I've got, you know, camera gear and Ozonics and all sorts of other crap. Um, was able to get in there and get set up. This was one of the, well, this was the first hunt ever in the saddle. So it took me a little while to get up in the tree and get comfortable and settled. And actually, while I was up there fiddling in my saddle, trying to get situated, I had two bucks come walking right by at 25 yards, two young bucks at like 4.45 in the afternoon. So that seemed to be a good sign. Um, But over the course of the night, saw a bunch of deer, had at least two different mature bucks that I saw, but both of them were on different sides of me about 90 yards away, outside of range obviously. So that night was great, had some good encounters, but I knew I needed to make a move the next day. The issue was that the next day I had a totally different wind direction that just seemed, think it, it, it just the, the risk of blowing this area up with that wind was too high. So I knew of one other piece of public that I could access that I thought would be pretty good that would work for that wind. I just had never been down in there before. And the issue with this one was kind of like Joshua's situation. To get down to the river bottom ground, you had to come up off these really high bluffs and then basically go canyoneering down into this thick coulee um, to get down to the bottom. Some pretty steep stuff. Um, and that was a mile and a half hike to get to that spot. So I was able to get down there, though. I, I I went and did like a pre-hike. I hiked it without my gear to see if I could even get in there. I could. Then I had to hike all the way back, get all my gear, then hike all the way back down, then get to a tree, get set up, um my setup with the saddle on day two was easier so I was getting more comfortable and I did see a good number of deer too um, it was a little later movement that first night I was seeing those bucks at like 6, 6.15 and didn't get dark till 8, 8, 8 10 or 8.05 or something like that. Um, night number two I was closer out towards the food so that movement was a little later I did see two mature bucks one was on the private land one was on the public land but he was out of my range on the opposite side of this piece so, wasn't in the game, wasn't in the, wasn't in the chips on that one, but that was still like encouraging. I've hunted two nights in a row. I've seen mature bucks two nights in a row. I've got two different good options now, um, so I was excited about that. And- now, Mark, w- where you're at in this river bottom, like river bottom that I'm
2: familiar with, is typically nasty, like overgrown vietnam jungle looking stuff but like from the pictures i've seen the grass looks like it's very thin and like ankle high were there cattle on this ground that you were hunting Hmm.
0: so on the first place that i hunted day one property they have sheep in there sometimes um and cattle sometimes too i think they aren't there right now but there were sheep there right now um on the day two property i'm not sure i didn't see any uh stock out there But, um, possible, but the, the terrain itself, it's kind of, there's three different habitat types or three different types of stuff that I'm seeing on this property. There's, there's like the really thick, like Russian olives. So just, you know, really thick, bushy stuff. That's like great bedding cover. And then it usually transitions into like a grassy slash cottonwood savanna type terrain. And then eventually hits to crop fields on the private land so both of these public places it was that kind of deal there was the russian olive bedding there was the kind of transition cottonwood groves and then there's the crop fields in the private so i was positioning myself kind of in between that bedding and the food on night number one i was well i guess both nights i was kind of in that cottonwoody um transition area but on night number one it was much tighter to the bedding like there was there was the russian olive bedding within 50 yards of me 30 yards on one side. Um, on night number two, I was farther away from it. But because of the wind direction I had, I had to I had to move far in one direction so that my wind would skirt the edge of that bedding and not cut right into it. Um, so that's kind of the, the situation. And I think why both of these spots was, you know, so great as far as deer sightings and seeing mature bucks is that both of them required, like I said, about a mile and a half hike. One of them you had to take a river in which a lot of people won't do, so I had uh you know, I had to, first I had these disposable, these like $15 packable waders that are trash, um, and I ripped them within the first wade, the first time across the river, I got them caught on a piece of wood and, and ripped them, so that was junk, and they're, so I tried to use them the rest of the night, kept filling up, I got muddled, I mean, it was just a nightmare that first day, so the next day I went and drove to a city where I could buy real hip boots, hip waders, and those worked much better, Um, but I digress. The first thing that that property had going for it was the river and the distance made it hard to get into it. And the second day property, I had the distance and then this cliff and this canyon. So you had to really work to get down in there. So I just don't think many people are willing to do that. And especially out where I'm at, there's not a whole ton of whitetail hunters. Most guys right now are focused on mule deer and elk. Um, so the few guys maybe that are chasing whitetails are are looking for the easy, the low hanging fruit. These were definitely not low-hanging fruit spots. Um, and
2: how how long did it take you to get from, like, when you got out of your pickup to when you got to the tree when you were going to set up?
0: Yeah, I think it was about an hour, give or take. I think it was, uh, yeah, if I'm remembering right, give or take that hour mark. Um, then the other thing that both of these things had going for them was that the public land was this cover, bedding and transition, But both of them were next to private land that had crop fields on it. So I specifically picked these places because it looked like there was neighboring fields that would hopefully have food in them. And I confirmed they both had alfalfa growing on the private property. So that really holds a deer in this area. So if there's good green alfalfa and if there's cover nearby, you're almost guaranteed there's going to be deer. Um, And so that's what I looked looked for. I looked for the food. I looked for hard to get to public that was adjacent to it. And I found these two spots that had that. And both of them ended up being producers. So, day number three rolls around now, and I have a good wind direction to go back into the night number one spot. So, I go in there, but this time I'm going to move my stand to take into account what I saw on the first night. So, I'd seen seven bucks come by along the north side of this little opening I was in, this little transition area. One of them was a definite mature buck, one of them was a maybe. So, I thought based off that, if I would move my stand to be just downwind of that edge... I could catch him moving again. And, you know, I got in there, got settled, and right away, like within, I don't know, 20 minutes of being in there, here comes like a two- or three-year-old buck and a younger, like a a year-and-a-half-old buck and a bunch of does coming right at me. I was like, oh, man, this is great. I'm in the right spot. But then at about 50 yards, 50, 60 yards, they cut into the Russian olive thicket before they got to me. And then they... I could see them traveling inside the brush past me and I wouldn't be able to get a shot at them and I'm thinking oh my gosh did I somehow like misremember the spot am I like 30 40 yards too far over and now every deer that's gonna come by is gonna cut into the thicket before they get to me Um, so I was sitting there for five minutes like kicking myself like you are an idiot you screwed up you're gonna have to make move your stand again tomorrow um, and I couldn't get down and move because there was more deer coming through. Like, the the, the deer parade had begun. Um, fortunately, a couple does did come by within range, and that gave me a little bit of hope. And I was thinking, okay, maybe some of these deer cut in, some of these deer don't. And I still was holding true to my memory that told me these bucks came by there. So I'm sitting there watching lots of different does coming through, and now there's deer behind me too. So every once in a while I'm looking behind me. And this situation, I'm looking to the left behind me, and I turn to my right to look back in front, right on that edge, and there's a great big buck at 15 yards right in front of me, right in my shooting lane, walking right at me. So I'm like, holy crap. Like, instantly knew that's a big mature buck. And, um, and what time was this? Oh, man, I think this was like 6 30 or 6 45 or something like that. So at least an hour and 15 minutes before dark. Um, he's right there. And what I did is I thought I would have time to grab my camera, spin the camera around, spin me around because again I'm in, I'm in the saddle and the way I was set up in this tree is it had had a bunch of branches on the back side of it. And I set up my saddle kind of right next to these branches so that when I lean straight back I was essentially tucked into the branches, and you couldn't see me at all. Nothing saw me. Not a single deer looked up there and saw me in the tree. But what I could do, because I'm in the saddle, you can maneuver very easily. So I could be tucked into the branches when there were deer coming by that didn't want to see me. But if I needed to get into shot position, I could just slowly kind of swing to my left and be able to get a great shot. And so that's what I did here. I I was swinging into position while moving my camera. All the while, this buck's in my, in my shooting lane and walking through it, and what ended up happening is that by the time I got drawn back on him, he had got behind a couple branches that I couldn't shoot through, and then had turned, um, I think he turned directly towards me, if I remember right, and there were two other bucks with him. I never even really looked at them too much because I was so focused on him. I remember seeing them and being like, oh, that looks like a couple younger bucks, and then focused on the the first one. So he goes almost directly beneath me, the other two are directly beneath me. I'm drawn back on this buck, hoping he's going to turn, and if he turns and gets into one of these gaps in the branches, I could get a shot at him. I'm drawn back, waiting, waiting, he turns, starts walking directly away from me now, and now I'm thinking, okay just give me a little bit of an angle on a quarter away shot. And that doesn't happen, then he stops. And then there's this buck underneath me. I think the youngest buck was like right underneath me, smelling around where my tree steps had been or where my backpack had been laid. And and I sprayed a bunch of nose jammer down there when I got done, but after, I don't know, 15, 20, 30 seconds, something like that, eventually he was like, I don't like this. And that buck bolted. And when that buck bolted, it didn't snort, didn't like freak out completely. Just was like, you know, if you ever see that where a buck like just gets a little surprised and like, I don't like this. And they run off like 10, 15 yards. That's what he did. He ran off 10 15 yards and then the other two bucks then followed him because he kind of freaked out. So now the big bucks out of range, they're all out of range. They stop. They're just kind of looking around and there's no way I can get a shot and then they just slowly walk away. Um so I was just pretty pissed off at myself. I had this great big, I mean I I, I don't know. I in, in velvet they always look a lot bigger than maybe they are. But I was thinking probably 140s, definitely a four-year-old, still in velvet, um, really nice buck, had him right there, I mean, literally that spot where he was, was what I set the saddle up for, like, I was, like, okay, I want these deer to come right through here, if he's there, I'll have this perfect, beautiful broadside shot, this is where I think they're going to be, and he did it, exactly, I just wasn't ready in time, I just, he surprised me, he he was right in it before I noticed him, and and I think in retrospect, if I hadn't messed with the camera, I probably could have just grabbed the bow and got drawn and got a shot um but that's what i did i uh I tried to get it on camera so has has that cost you before trying to get the camera
2: set up while self filming and missing an opportunity
0: man the only other time that this happened um and it was <laughs> it was a situation where I told myself I wouldn't do it again and now I just did it again, but it was uh back in two thousand fourteen on, uh, I was hunting this buck I called Jawbreaker in Ohio. And it was a it was very, very similar situation. It was almost the exact same scenario where I was looking one direction. I turn around. All of a sudden, the buck I'm after is right in my shooting lane at like 20 yards. And same deal. I rushed to try to get the camera turned on him and, and grab the bow and get drawn all at the same time. And because of that, he was just about outside of my shooting lane by the time I stopped him and got a shot. And I think because of that, it just forced me to rush. And I got a bad shot on him. And um, hit back and didn't end up recovering until the next spring. So, ever after that, you know, that really frazzled me. And I don't, at least for the next few years after that, I've been telling myself I'm not going to let the camera interfere with a shot like that. Um, but apparently, I did again because I still try to get it on camera this time and, and it cost me at least this time. I didn't rush the shot. I just didn't take the shot. So I'm glad about that. And there was, there was a time, there was a second there I was like, I could probably, I could force it and I stopped myself. So I guess I did. There was some personal growth there. I didn't force the shot. So I'm, I'm glad I didn't do that. Um, but still, that is, that's always
2: been my biggest fear. Like if I were to ever start filming that it could cost me a deer or uh, it cost me an opportunity, and like I, I feel like that could take the fun out of it real quick. And like there, there's just so many little things that have to go right for you to kill a whitetail with a bow. Um, that it, it just adds an extra element. Those people who can sell film um, and consistently kill big deer, like so much respect for them because that
0: is hard to do. Yeah, no, it, it definitely is. It definitely is a whole another layer of challenge, but. And after that jawbreaker incident, I did consider, like, do I want to stop filming? Um, But what came back down to me is as long as you're not going to force a shot, as long as you don't make the mistake I made that first time, which is force a rush shot because of it, um, it adds so much fun. To the hunt because you can go back and look at that video like I just love getting video of deer I see I love being able to look back at them. I love being able to share the pictures or videos with other people um, Like that's become almost just as much of the hunt with me now as like I'm hunting with a camera in a lot of cases So just seeing a good buck way out in the distance is still awesome because I can capture video of them and I can relive that um, So even if I wasn't gonna be like posting my videos on YouTube or sharing them with you know for wired hunt I think I would still video just because I love that aspect. Um, but it does, it does make things tougher. So I was pretty Mark, frustrated. Be,
1: be, before we move on from this, how has, it been, how has it been filming from the saddle as opposed to a tree stand? Mm. Any differences or anything like that you've noticed?
0: Yeah, good question. Because that was really one of the biggest things that kept me from trying the saddle in past years is because I was worried about that. Um so I was worried still now that I had a saddle but it ended up being fine you know it ended up not being an issue at all I think I just uh, it, you know positioning it is a little bit different um but it's not bad just because with the saddle you can move around in the tree so much um you can maneuver and position yourself for different shots so you can maneuver around the camera almost easier than you can with a tree stand cuz you know in the tree stand you're standing straight up tight to the tree in this You can be leaning out, you can be sitting down, you can be just, you can, there's a lot of flexibility with it. Um, So filming was fine. It was really easy. I think the biggest difference was that, at least for me, when I get into a tree stand, first thing I do is I get in the tree stand, I clip in, um, you know, off a lifeline or whatever, onto your safety harness, tree strap, and then I get my backpack, set my backpack on the seat, and I start unpacking, and I start setting up my camera gear and all that kind of stuff. You don't have a seat now when you're in a saddle. So I, I, what I just ended up doing was the first thing I would do when I got into the tree is that I would um you know figure out where I'm going to hang my stuff. And like on my camera arm there's a little hanger on my on my strap-on camera arm so you can use that to like hang a backpack on. So I just essentially had a place to hang my backpack in easy reachable distance so that while I'm in the saddle I can still reach my backpack with all my camera gear and everything in it. Kind of like it's sitting on a seat um but still accessible so I can take care of things one at a time um in that kind of fashion. So that worked out really well. Um, Yeah. So I got all settled in there and and that whole situation happened. I was bumming about that buck. Had another group of four bucks come walking in right underneath me passed on a on a pretty nice looking three-year-old Um, and then the salt in the wound that night was that the original mature buck that I saw from night number one, that I moved to this tree for this big wide a pointer, he goes walking right by the tree I hunted on night number one. (laughs) Um, so, you know, I mean, that's like the age old question I always like have is like, when do you move? Do you move after seeing one sighting or do you stick it out in case they change what they do? And in this case, he went by where I was the day before and you know. It is what it is. But
2: Now, you, you hunted four evenings, correct? Correct. And how many of those hunts did you see the same deer that you had
0: seen in the past? Um, On night number one and night number three, I saw that wide eight pointer. That was the only buck that I could t- tell you for sure was the same deer from past nights because night number two was a different location and night number four was just a quick hunt. I only saw one deer on night number four but I won't spoil that quite yet.
1: <laughs> um, but I'm sure that... Have you if, seen... Were, were there any bucks that you thought we might have pulled sheds from? You know, out there?
0: I did wonder about that, and there were none that, like, stood out to me as obvious, like, oh, yeah, that's this buck. I'm going to go back and look at some of our sheds and, like, try to think through that and try to picture the bucks I saw and the sheds we have but nothing that stands out to me is like a no brainer. This is half, you know, like we didn't find the triple brow time buck. <laughs> I didn't see him. <laughs> um, but I was hoping we might, I might see one of those deer, but can't say for sure that I did.
1: Well, let me know when you're going to do that and I'll bring all my sheds over and we can look.
0: <laughs> That'd be fun we look <laughs> through footage and play with our sheds. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> so yeah, I, I, I
1: think our wives would have even more questions about us.
0: Yeah, they would. Um, so night number three ended basically with seeing that wide one, but at my first stand location, um, snuck out of there and then day four, I decided I'm going to go back to the same stand because, you know, the wide eight could just as likely come back past me now like he did on night number one. And I also had that group of three bachelor bucks come through, including the one I tried to get a shot at and couldn't. And I didn't think they spooked so bad that they wouldn't come by again, possibly, Um, if that had happened in Michigan, I don't think I would have hunted the same stand because these Michigan deer are just, they don't give you second chances, but I have noticed in spots like this where there's just not as much pressure, these deer, they just behave differently. Um, you can get away with a lot more, you know, like I said, not a single deer, not one the entire time I've been out here has looked up into the tree. I can't tell you how many times in Michigan, even hunting trees for the first time deer just looking up lots of times, (laughs) lots of times they won't they'll see something and they're like, ah, eh, and they keep going. But I mean, nothing looked up at all. It's amazing. And so I'm sitting there, I'm so used to like being frozen, assuming that deer are going to look up at me and look at me for a second and then keep going and look at me and they keep going. Never had to deal with that. So it is, you know, I'm, I'm not ever going to try to equate public land hunting in you know, like a Western state to public land hunting back in Michigan or even private land back in Michigan. Um, it's just a different, it's a different animal. Um, so that said, I thought, you know, I could probably get away with another hunt there. Um, but we had this cold front hit, you know, that you talked a little bit, well, I guess we talked about that on rut radio, uh, Spencer, how this cold front came through the country and it was like 90 something degrees on Monday and on Tuesday. Um, it was 20 to 30 degrees cooler. So now the highs are going to be in like the sixties. I'd already been seeing early deer movement. So I'm thinking to myself, all right, I've been seeing mature bucks moving at six. I've been seeing deer moving by like 530, five thirty, five, five thirty. Um, I'm gonna have to get in there really early just in case these deer start doing something crazy. So I got all settled and snuck in there to be in the tree stand. I was shooting to be in the tree stand by about three thirty. And I got there at about three thirty. I was up in the tree and settled by about three thirty-five. And I'm in that same stand. I was happy with how I got in there, nice and quiet, Um, it's nice and cool and comfortable. 335, I'm all set, I'd gotten my camera gear set up, everything was settled at 335. I grabbed a bottle of water out of my backpack, and I'd I'd lost my plastic water bottle somewhere, so I had like one of those great big huge Yeti tumblers, like the big heavy silver ones, but it was the only bottle I had. Um, So I've got this huge silver thing in the tree with me, I'm taking a swig of that. As I'm taking a swig of this water. I see movement on the left corner of my eye, I turn my head, and I just see this big framed buck, and the first thing in my head is, it's that buck from last night, but he's shed velvet, but the frame looked just like this deer from the night before, kind of curling in, big brow tines, so I'm like, holy crap, this deer's right here, he's coming in, he's like at 60 yards, and the first thing I thought in my head is, do not miss this opportunity now, because you're drinking out of a water bottle, so I quickly try to tighten the top on my water bottle, get that in my backpack, grab my bow, start to spin, and I grab the camera again, I guess I figured in my, in my mind, subconsciously, I thought I had time, and I did have time this time, Um, got the camera turned, just kind of spun it in the general direction, hit play, or hit record, got the bow ready, he went behind some branches, and now I'm saying, okay, he's, it's not even like he's going to angle out of range like so many times you know something like this happens a good deer comes in but he just angles just out of range or something this just he followed the script perfect he walks right into like 15 yards and he's walking through a wide open spot i give him a little he stopped pulled through released good shot double lung looked like a double lung maybe a little bit back Um, in my mind's eye i saw it you know perfect up and down and maybe just like a few inches farther back from where I wanted to be, but what I assume back of lungs. Um, he mule kicks and just takes off like crazy just runs like a madman. And I've seen him kind of do a, a wide arching loop out through the cottonwoods and through a little opening and then into those Russian olive thicket stuff. And that was at 337. So I'd been in the tree settled for two minutes and I had already shot a deer. Um,
2: and and what was the what was the temperature that day like when you were hunting?
0: Yeah, it was like high sixties, probably. I think.
2: And so, had had it been like low eighties, would have you been there four and a half hours before dark?
0: I would not have been there so early. No, um, the nights before, I'd been getting to the tree at like. I I, I would I had been wishing I was there even earlier, but the first two or three nights, I remember getting there around like, four thirty or five. Um, like I remember looking at my watch when I had those two bucks walk by me on the first night and it was like five oh three or something. Um, so yeah, so I was in there much earlier than I had been the previous nights specifically because of that cold front. And
2: so the cold front like got you to kill the deer, whether or not it actually changed that deer's pattern or that deer's movement, like it got you there earlier and gave you the chance to, to kill that buck.
0: Yeah for sure because if if that if I hadn't seen that temperature drop coming in I would have not been there at 335
2: and do you remember uh, what I had brought up on an episode of Rut Radio last year how like uh, I'm not convinced that cold fronts actually increased deer movement but it helps with hunters confidence like it gets you there uh, you're more focused you're probably not messing around with your phone you're hunting a better stand than you normally would uh, and you're you're like in the zone and, and you are more confident or more ready that a deer is going to come by. Um, and this is like another good indication. Now you could also point at like, yeah, the, the cold front got that deer moving four hours sooner, but um, you, you know, regardless that cold front got you there sooner and, and got you to kill that buck.
0: Yeah. I, th- I think you I think your theory holds water. I think that's true. I think it definitely does get you out there in your better spots, more confident, more ready. I'll, I'll, I'll argue, though, that the cold fronts do actually impact deer movement still, too. Um, but either way, yeah, it worked. Um, I got that buck, got him shot, and I was really excited. Um, I assumed that he would be toppled over right inside that thicket. I just, and he, As he was running away, I was just waiting for him to go toppling over, um, but he didn't. So I waited, you know, I don't know, I think 45 minutes. I, I was thinking I'll wait like 45 minutes to an hour, because I thought it was a double lung shot, and then I'll go get him. But by the time 45 minutes or so passed, then I started thinking you know, this is going to be a nightmare getting out of here with him, plus I want to get my other camera plus I want to drop off all this other gear Um, plus it wouldn't be bad to give more time, so I decided to pack up everything, take down my saddle and my steps and everything and go back to camp drop everything off, get some food and some water and then come back so I ended up doing that so that didn't lead me to I didn't get back to start tracking until 6 o'clock then so he'd had about two and a half hours now. Um, and so I went to the site where the arrow was, found the arrow. Arrow had great red blood all over it, looked good. Um, but just a little splash of blood right by where the arrow was, and then nothing. So I walked around, walked around, walked around, couldn't find any blood. Now, I have to preface this, and I think I've mentioned this on the podcast before, so people probably know this, um, but I've got some red-green color blindness, So I see red and green just fine. But in a situation like that where you've got little flecks of blood against, like, a brown dirt and dust and all that kind of stuff, it doesn't pop out to me as well. So when I'm standing up, like, I'll be walking with Josh, and he'll be like, blood, 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 blood. And I have to, like, get down, hunched over, and focus in. I'm like, oh, yeah, there it is. There it is. So this kind of situation is just, it's harder for me. So I'm not finding blood around the kill site other than right at the shot. But after that, I couldn't find it. So... I'm thinking to myself, well, I saw right where he ran in. I'll just go and try and pick up blood over there. So I do that. I try to skip to the finish line, got overexcited, and went up there, started walking around, nothing, nothing, nothing. Long story short, couldn't find any blood anywhere. Now it's, like, I don't know, half hour, hour before dark, and I'm thinking, okay, I'm not going to be able to see any blood. It's already starting to get darker. He's got to be just in here somewhere. I know it was a good shot. I know he's down. So I just started body searching, just grid searching the edge, and walking and walking, and basically, without saying the same thing over again, I walked all night till it was dark and I couldn't see anymore, hadn't found him, decided to go back to camp, come back out the next morning. That night, looked at footage again, could see that the shot, you know, was basically what I thought, a touchback, but still, that should be a dead deer. Um, So, went back in the next morning, and... Went back to the last place I saw him running, looked for blood again, was able to find blood this time, I followed a blood trail for maybe 80 yards to 100 yards, and that gave me like a line of travel. So I knew, okay, now I know where how he was heading in here for sure, better than just what I thought I remembered, but then again lost it, so then I just started gritting again, and I got to give um, a big plug to uh, a tool, I was using the Onyx Hunt app and I was using the track feature. So it tracks your everywhere you walked. And so I used that to identify, you know, to keep track of everything I had grid searched already. So I was basically just walking back and forth, back and forth and looking at the map to see what I hadn't covered yet. And so I started walking at, I don't know, 630 or 7 or something like that in the morning. Uh, I guess this was Wednesday morning. And by 11 o'clock, I still hadn't found him. I maybe it was like, 10 30 10 45 something like that i remember texting you josh telling you that i hadn't i lost blood was grid searching again and i was i was pretty down by then because i'd walked this whole area that i thought he should have been in um couldn't find him And it's just this these russian owl thickets it's just so thick i was m- most of the time on my hands and knees crawling around on all fours um and i just thought to myself it's it's like a needle in a haystack like if you find him you have to like trip over him because it's so thick and a lot of this stuff but figured, well, I've got, you know, four days out here till I have to fly home. So I might as well just keep on walking till I find him. Cause I really did believe he was somewhere. So I remember looking at the map and seeing that there was this gap that I hadn't hit yet. That was close to the edge of the river. And so I started walking that line and I just remember being in my head, just having the thought like, I'm never going to find him. I'm never going to find this deer. And I was like, so upset with myself. And right as I'm having that thought, I spotted like an orange color. And I kind of put my head around the corner in this like tall grass. And there's the body of a deer. And I'm like, no way. That's, that's got to be some other dead deer. And I keep, and then I come around the corner. I'm seeing more. I'm seeing more. And then I see antlers. And I'm like, no way. No way. And I keep, then I get up to him like, oh my God. I flipped out. I couldn't believe it. There he was. Um, I recovered him, you know, after, I don't know, maybe six hours of walking around or something like that I guess if you take for the night before and then that morning um, but there he was I mapped the distance from the shot I mapped kind of the whole arc of where he ran to where I saw blood and then from the last blood to where I found him and it was about 390 yards that he covered um, so he, he he put some some ground underneath his put some ground on the boots there but uh, so what, what would you contribute the lack of blood to I think it was more of a liver hit than it was a lung hit. I think it was back of lungs and liver and on the exit wound, actually it blew out um, a bunch of tissue and intestine, not intestine. I'm, I should have looked more at it. I was in such a rush uh, yesterday morning when I was recovering because I was worried about the meat because it was getting warm and he'd been out there since the day before. So I didn't do a, like, a really good autopsy. I just rushed to get it done. Um, but he had a bunch of stuff coming out the exit wound that I think plugged it all up. Like it was a bunch of, I don't know, like a, like a handful of junk coming out, just starting to come out that I, that I'm guessing plugged up that exit wound. Um, the entry wound was a great big gaping hole, but that was higher and then the exit wound was lower. Um, and that was plugged. So I think between that and the fact that it was maybe more liver, um, and then the fact that, you know, I can't see stuff quite as well. I think those are the things that led to the blood trail being difficult and then that led to the blood trail drying up. Um... But, yeah, he was a really nice 11-pointer, actually. That's what we call it in Michigan is an 11-pointer. Spencer, you know that as a 5x6, I think. <laughs> um, That's correct. <laughs> but um, but a really, really nice public land buck. I was really excited about it. it I'm, I'm 99% sure now it's not the same buck from the night before. Um, this buck's definitely younger than that deer was. Um I didn't, you know, I think I saw that frame of his antlers. And I was like, oh, it's that buck. And I never really gave him a second glance after that. I just was making it happen. Um, but I don't care about that. I'm just super uh, excited about this deer. And it was such a cool hunt. Um, it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of work. It was the most probably the most physically demanding whitetail hunt I've ever been on. Just so much hiking and climbing. And then getting that deer out of there was a whole chore. Um, it was a long process to get him back out. Um, so I definitely worked for this one. So it, uh, it was a sweet, sweet feeling of satisfaction when it was all said and done.
2: Well, I was stoked for you. Uh, I was, uh, super happy when you said you shot him. And I I thought initially that you were messing with me because it was four hours before dark. Like, (laughs) why, how would you be killing a deer four hours before dark on September 4th or whatever? But, uh, kudos to you. And if we go by like, uh. We'll talk about Renella again, his purity score, I think he calls it, you know, like a uh, public land with your bow in a, a state that you don't live, um, walking in a mile and a half uh, early September like this, like that is as high as it gets. Uh, you earned that deer. So
0: congrats. Well, Thank you. And, uh, and y- you have now earned your place in this podcast in the future. You keep buttering me up like that and, <laughs> and you'll uh, you'll keep getting uh, some play on the podcast. So right. uh, thanks though, man. I appreciate it. It was, uh, it was cool. I'm, I'm a happy hunter and, and thankful that I was able to find him. It's so funny though, you know, everything went the same, but if I hadn't stumbled on him and found him, I would be feeling the lowest of lows right now. You know, I'd still be out there walking probably right now, miserable. And I was thinking in my head, if I can't find this buck, I'm definitely not hunting anymore. And I'm definitely not going to go to North Dakota anymore. Um, I was going to just punch my Montana tag and say, all right, that's it. And then probably wouldn't deer hunt again until October and just would have been so bummed. Um, and then just by, you know, chance of fate, um, and putting in the time, was able to, to find him and now it's you know completely opposite I'm on cloud nine um so it's funny how that all kind of works out and I guess it I guess you just got to keep hope right I mean I was in the down the dumps right then but I just was going to keep on going and you know good thing I didn't give up I think you know I think there's some people that probably would have pulled the plug after a few hours of not being able to find blood and be able to find him and just say oh he's he's probably fine um but I'm glad I didn't do that because he was there and um was able to wrap my tag around a great public land buck, so. So is that meat still good? You think,
2: or is that something
0: that you'll donate to Josh? <laughs> no, the meat actually still good. Yeah, um, it was didn't smell bad at all, and because of the travel, because I was trying to head right to North Dakota, and because of the heat, I decided to drop it off at a meat processor there in town. And, um, so I dropped it off at the cooler and they said, yeah, it all looks good too. So I'm sure there'll be a little bit, you know, around, um, like the, the wound and things like that. But, um, but yeah, I feel really good about recovering the meat and the animal. And I will say this, this is just another great reminder. We talk about all the time, but this was on public land. This was available to anyone. Like anyone could go out and have this hunting trip that I just did that was just as much fun. And if you quantitatively successful, I got a, a, a great buck, um, just as much as you see, you know, someone having an outfitted hunt in Iowa or something. Um, and I was able to do it essentially for free, nothing but my taxpayer dollars that I've been paying over the course of my lifetime. Um, because this is, this is open to us. So just another little reminder for me to be so appreciative about public land and, uh, it just more motivation for why I want to keep on making sure we have these places and keep on standing up for them. So it was, uh, it was good stuff. All right. We need to pause for our last break of the day to thank our partners at Whitetail Properties. And today I just want to give a quick plug for another one of their YouTube videos. This one's a little bit different. We've been talking in the past about their land beat series, which is talking through a lot of different habitat advice and tips and and suggestions. They've actually also just started posting some of their hunts on their YouTube channel, too. One of those is with a guy who's been on the podcast before, Gabe Adair. And last year, if you listen to our podcast episode we did with him, we talked about this buck he was hunting called the Hammer. And that buck is now up on YouTube. It's a 226-inch deer that he was able to harvest amazing buck just a a really unique cool deer to take a look at and an awesome hunt too so you can check that out on youtube you can just go to their youtube channel you'll see it there very quickly it's the 226 inch giant bow kill i think is what they call it and if you'd just like to learn more about whitetail properties in general or see some of the properties they have for sale you can visit whitetailproperties.com
1: and i gotta i gotta echo what spencer said because i want to be around on the podcast a little bit more too but i'm just (laughs) proud of you and all the work that you put in, and you know, I don't think there's anyone out there that you know puts in the the time and the energy that you do, and and being able to share that with everybody, man, it's awesome, and and I'm happy for you. Um, I gotta, I want to ask a couple of follow up questions if we, if I can just go back a little bit.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, do you,
1: do you think he had been dead for a while, or do you think it was um, it, you know, if you're talking liver hit, you know, he could have been hanging on for a little bit How, yeah what were your thoughts on that
0: you know i don't know i wonder the same thing um he wasn't super stiff uh, when i recovered him so lots of times when a deer has been dead a long time you know they kind of stiffen up but i wondered if maybe that wouldn't be the case though in a situation like this where it's so warm um i don't know i'm not sure uh but did it did it look like an area where
2: he would bed down say he was you know really hurting or did it look like he died like while running
0: it could have been a bedding location it was way out at the end of this point um it wasn't in the main bedding it was like the the outside of the bedding um I just don't know I couldn't tell if, if I if I had to guess though if, if you were gonna force me to say what I guessed I bet you that deer ran out there and did bed down and maybe it was a little bit of time. Um if I had to if I had to put money on it. But I walked by not too far from that the night before. Um and I didn't bump him. Unless he'd bedded down sooner than I bumped him and then that was his like outside location. Um but if he was still alive when I was out there two hours later, um he didn't move if that's the case. So so I'm not sure. But the shot, again, it was uh that deer definitely couldn't have lived too long. That's for sure.
1: Yeah. It looked like a great shot. I mean, from the videos and stuff you sent, I, I can't believe that, you know, these, these animals are just so tough, man. Oh yeah. It's crazy.
0: And I think, you know, I think the angle of the shot, it was a little more quartering to me, I guess. than I realized not hard at all. Like I wasn't in danger of getting the shoulder, but the entry wound was, I believe, I think it took back of the right, well, back of the front lung liver and then the exit hit the tip front tip of the stomach um is the angle that the arrow took i believe because it looked like there was a little bit of junk when i opened them up in there so so that you know those one long hit bucks plus liver i mean that that's usually a dead deer but you know, people have always heard about the infamous one long hit deer can just go way further than you'd ever imagine um so i'm guessing it was some combination of all that
2: when When you were searching for like that six hours, were you kicking a bunch of deer up?
0: Not really. Um, I think if I remember right the the night that that night I shot him, I I spooked a few deer when I walked in, but then once I got in there, I think I must have just buggered it up enough that they just had already bailed out of there, so I didn't spook up anything. and then yesterday morning when i back went back in when I walked by kind of where my tree stand was, I actually spooked a few does and another nice buck. Um, I forgot, I forgot all about that till just now, but yeah, another nice buck, hardhorn buck went running off. And then when I got into that bedding, I did bump a few deer out of their beds. I couldn't really see what they were, um, but but you could definitely see a few deer running. So I think I'd just been around there so much that night before and then that next day that pretty much everything scooted out. Further, do you have any other follow-ups?
1: No, I don't think so, man. I think I'm good on my end.
0: All right. Well, I appreciate uh, appreciate the kind words, gentlemen. It was a fun hunt. And um, i got to give a plug here. If you are a podcast listener but you are not a YouTube video watcher yet, you got to check out um, the videos I've been putting out from this hunt. I put out a video from every day of the hunt. So if you go over to the Wired Hunt YouTube channel, you can see everything we've talked about, day one, day two, day three. I don't have the day four and five video out yet, but I'm going to try to get that out ASAP. Um, I'm, I thought those turned out pretty cool. So check that out. Subscribe to the YouTube channel. I'm going to try to be doing that all throughout the season as, as often as I can, as close to daily, real time. I'll be trying to do that. So, yeah, man, that's my story. I'm on my way to North Dakota now. As soon as I get done here, I'll finish the drive out, and I should be out there to meet up with you further. And hopefully one of us can... Fill another tag.
2: Tell us what's next after that. You have uh, an elk hunt, and then you'll be in Michigan. Are you hunting Ohio at all this year or not? Mm.
0: Yeah, so I come home for a week and then back out for an elk hunt and then home and then just focus in Michigan. Yeah, I don't think I'm going to hunt in Ohio now. Um, You know, we lost our spot, so I don't have anything else planned for Ohio. So mostly just Michigan stuff until the Minnesota trip, and then maybe... uh, you know, I've been talking about doing this Nebraska hunt in the end of October, I think that's still on uh, but yeah I'm, I'm kind of tired though between, you know, I was gone for a big chunk of time in the summer and then took another week long trip out west and then came home for two weeks and now I've been out for this one so I'm kind of just ready to be home for a little bit and hang out with my son um, but uh, but yeah I can't complain, the elk hunt I'm sure will be fun once I get out there and get going um, but I am looking forward to just sitting on the couch for a day or two too <laughs> that that's the cool thing about hunting
2: like early september like this i can burn myself out like two or three times before november even gets here now because yeah. i can go through these whereas before like hunting beginning of october there'd be problems where i would burn myself out like right when it was getting really good so i'm uh, i'm excited for the the early september stuff here
0: yeah you, get, you kind of go in waves right you go you hunt real hard and then you're kind of whooped and then you need a little break and then you can Re-energize and go after it again. So, yeah, I definitely have ebbs and flows like that as well. Um, but I guess we are lucky that we get to hunt enough that we can that we can get burnout, you know. <laughs> so I guess we That's should right. be we should be thankful for that. Um. All right. Well, further any last words uh before we let you go? I know that you you were already complaining before we started recording about how we're holding <laughs> you up from hunting. So I, you're probably mad <laughs> well, at us all no, already.
1: Okay. I gotta I gotta get you guys take on this. So uh, So where I'm hunting, where I'm camping, I don't have any service. So I'm I'm looking. I've got the weather pulled up here as as we're talking. And I've got an interesting scenario for tonight that has changed since the last time um, that I looked. And the plan that I talked about earlier, I think, is going to get messed up here. So I've I've got an interesting scenario. I've got all four wind directions between 3 p.m. and 7 p.m. tonight. (laughs) Awesome. Starting out. Starting out with a south southwest to a southwest to a west to a north to a north northeast. <laughs> so I don't know what I'm gonna do now. I'm what do you, what do, what would you guys do so in that scenario?
0: Yeah, it's
1: it's changing on the hour. So like every hour is different.
0: So it's I'm um, assuming it's like a light a very light and variable wind then like two miles an hour or
1: something? Uh, no. Uh, like nine miles an hour, eight miles an hour, and then five, four and six. So not super heavy, but, um, like enough where it's, it, it would impact what I'm trying to do.
0: Uh, wow. Yeah. That's a tough scenario. I mean, <laughs> in, this I, is
1: one of those scenarios where if I, if I was at home, I wouldn't go out, but I, that's not a,
0: you know, yeah. An option. yeah, I was just going to say, I feel like this is one of the scenarios. I wouldn't go diving into like a great spot or anything because of that, but you don't have much time. Um, right. So do you think that, have you noticed any kind of, like, thermal effect where you're at? So, like, by the time when it starts cooling off, have you noticed that wind dropping down off the bluffs and sinking down into the river bottom?
1: You know, I, I haven't, because um, I've been, where I've been at, I haven't been too close to the, the cliffs. Um, it certainly could be happening closer in by the, the thicker cover um, that I've kind of stayed away from. But it has been super, like, gusty winds here the last couple of days, like like up in the 20-mile-an-hour range. Um, so Maybe I'm just not noticing it because the winds have been so strong. Um, but I'm almost wondering if I – you know, I was listening to your podcast that you did with, with Mark Drury the other day, and he talked about when you don't have those ideal wind conditions is get on the ground. And I'm wondering if that's something where I maybe try that tonight and just kind of move around as the – um as the wind changes.
0: Hmm. It's an interesting idea. I mean, it can't hurt. I mean, you're running and gunning. I mean, might, heck, it might actually be a cool way to be able to see a little bit more, maneuver a little a more. a couple and, of different
1: spots. Yeah.
0: And you're not worried about boogering yeah. stuff up because you're just there for a few days.
1: Right. Right.
0: I don't know, Spencer, what do you think?
1: Interesting scenario here. Uh, I
2: would, if you think you've been seeing a lot of the movement that last half hour daylight whatever it looks like the wind is going to be doing then like if you said it's a northwest wind at that point i would try to set up for a hunt like that um but uh, you know you can be as aggressive as you want with only a few days left and an out of state hunt so if you go on the ground i think that's a good option too
1: yeah those last those last kind of two three hours i've got a west and north and a north northeast
0: um it's almost like if so, you maybe yeah. what you maybe what you do is if you're going to hunt in the ground, maybe you stalk your way in towards so you start your day wherever you've got that safe wind so you're not at least you're not blowing out the bedding early. But by the time yep. you slowly work your way up to whatever you think your prime area is, then hopefully you're there by the time the wind shifts to that northwest yep, whatever. Yeah. Yep. Yep. I'll, I'll
1: do some thinking. I got to look at some stuff. I'm not, I guess I'm not as a, in a rush now to get back. (laughs) Yeah. So interesting. Well,
0: hopefully we can do another hour long podcast. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Let's
0: not do that. (laughs) Um, but hopefully we'll have an update from you guys here soon. Um, I think that's going to do it for us today. So good luck hunting tonight Furter. and Spencer, are you hunting tonight? I'm going to be hunting. Yes. All right. Well, good luck to you too. And I think that's a wrap. So that's it. I will just echo what I usually do here at the end of the podcast and give you a quick reminder to leave a rating or review on iTunes, to subscribe to the podcast, to subscribe to the Wired Done YouTube channel, and to follow along with my hunts over on Instagram and Facebook. And that will be that. And I guess the only thing I need to say after that is thank you. Thanks for your time. Thanks for following along. Hope you enjoyed these stories. I can't wait to share the rest of the hunting season with you. I've got high hopes for a lot more exciting adventures like this, and I'm hoping for the same things for you. I hope that what you've been learning here on the podcast this year and over the previous years, I'm hoping that that can all help you this season. I hope it pays off, and um, whether it be with meat in the freezer, antlers on the wall, or just some really great memories, it's all good. So until next time, thank you, and stay wired
1: to hunt.